You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Very warm welcome to you, especially if you're you're new. Some of our wider vineyard family, I noticed you snuck in. We're delighted you're with us as well. Uh, I just want to share a talk this morning that I've called um, On a War Footing. Honestly, uh, this initial illustration is probably a little risky for some of you, but please hear everything I say today in the, in the context of, of a wider picture rather than just as a one-off talk. And um, actually, before I even jump into that, I just feel like uh, the, there's, there's three things I was sensing in worship. One is uh, some of you got like a, you know, if you had a hairband and it was falling down and it was around your head here between you ear to ear, but around the front of your head, it's like there's this band of restriction on some of you, on your mind. I don't know if that's a physical thing or a spiritual thing. Some of you, I just felt the Lord wants to, um, uh, again, I don't know if it's physical or spiritual. It might actually be physical with your spine. I just feel like he wants to pull something off and out of your spine this morning. And some of you, um, it's like, uh, you know, I've never worn one, but if you go running, I think you could get those heartbeat measures that's like, it's strapped around your chest. It's like this tight band of restriction around some of your chest again this might be a physical thing it might be a spiritual thing but I think the Lord he wants to do some stuff with with some of us this morning but we'll come back to that in a moment but um I don't want to upset anyone but I do just want to give you a slight jolt this morning I prepared you last week by saying we're going into the summer not with a soft landing but sometimes I think there's there's things um, slightly more than some of us realize. And sometimes you just need a moment in your life just to peel back the curtain and see a wider view or a wider image. So imagine today if you walked out of here and the world you walked out into was different. Imagine if we'd not just received a declaration of war, but actually we'd been at war for quite some time. Imagine just for a moment what that would look like there would be signs of war there would be pains of war there would be evidence of war there'd be things like tanks and heavy armory there would be curfews and there would be signs of damage and destruction all over this city and for some of us it's quite hard to imagine because most for most of us that's just something you may occasionally see in short bursts on the news but it's not something that is on the doorstep of your lives. And there would be people, if we walked out like that, who had suffered significant loss. Physically, their lives may have been reshaped, and that may include a number of us. There'd be people on crutches. There would be the noise and the smells of war. There would be roads and buildings and infrastructure of this city that had been significantly reshaped. And the picture that I really want to paint for you would be one that actually I don't want to paint for you because if we did, it would be so emotionally traumatic for most of us as we hear and we respond to it. And yet today, we will walk out of here and live exactly as we walked into here. We will walk out because that isn't our physical reality and yet the reality is we are in a spiritual war. We are at war and we walk this finest line between not overplaying it and yet so often underplaying it and therefore not being equipped to respond or even in protecting ourselves. I want to say this, we're at a time of war. And if we were at a time of war, so much would be different. What you ate would be different. The job you did and the way you did that job, your budget, your house, what you wear, your body armor, 
think of some of the realities of just air raid shelters, all of it would be different to what it is, and yet we currently live like civilians walking around in our normal clothes with our normal mindsets in a time of war. In a previous job of mine, my boss used to say to me regularly, he's like, you need to, you need to start switching on. You need to fix up and look sharp. And today I kind of want to give us that jolt. I want to talk about warfare, spiritual warfare. And I want to slightly do it with the backdrop of talking about the kingdom of God. Now, what, what can happen is we can overplay it we can underplay it or we can misunderstand it. So overplaying it would be that we're literally looking for demons under every stone. I've seen also so many times that I'm chatting or, or working with people and you're working through inner healing moments and pain comes out and people are labeling it as, as deliverance. And I'm like, it's just, it's just pain coming out. Let's not make this what it is, but it can also be completely misunderstood. Not everything that people label as warfare is actually warfare. If you make bad decisions, bad decisions have consequences. And the consequences to those bad decisions are because you made bad decisions. If you have a lack of parental discipline and boundaries and there's consequences as a result of that, those consequences are as a result of a lack of parental discipline and boundaries. If you have repetitive habitual sin in your life and there's consequences to that and there's entry points as a result of that that is as a result of repetitive habitual sin now all of those things absolutely can lead to warfare but they're not necessarily the starting point if you play with fire you will get burnt if you stick your head in the lion's mouth you will get bitten that's not warfare but it can lead to warfare warfare is a clashing of the kingdoms and in these battles Jesus was and continues to be the victor and that's the thing that we want to and need to stand on if we look at Matthew 12 and 22 to 31 Jesus makes it very clear in those passages that the struggle in which he is engaged is not a civil war within a kingdom it's a battle and it's a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil the strong man Satan is bound in his house satan's kingdom may be plundered and it's important we realize it and we see it that way but satan's power was curbed but it was not rendered completely powerless i'm not going to go into the full detail of that you can find it in matthew 16 or mark 8 or luke 22 if you want to look it up but therefore as a result of that we've got to live in this reality that there is no neutral ground and we should not be surprised where when we therefore encounter things there's no neutral ground and therefore as a result of that there are going to be times in my life and in your lives that we encounter things times when you maybe feel downcast because the enemy seeks to crush and squash your spirit times when you feel disheartened because the enemy is trying to diminish and belittle your authority there'll be relational tensions and relational niggles of course there will because that is an absolute classic if they're in if if in a place of unity and harmony a blessing is commanded what is the enemy 
going to go for. He's going to go for exactly that. There'll be times of doubting because the enemy is the father of lies. There'll be times where you may feel disillusioned because the enemy's role is to seek to kill and to destroy. And there'll be times when you are distracted, which is an absolute classic. If he can't take you out, he's going to try and water you down. I couldn't then think of any more that began with D, but we could keep going with... There'll be things like confusing illnesses. There'll be environments where you just feel lethargic, particularly in spiritual environments. There'll be environments where you're just logistically fraught for things. Now, you could take that list and you could keep going and keep going and keep going and add and add and add to it. And then we read Ephesians 6, verse 12. It says this, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Evil spirits in heavenly places places evil spirits where the kingdom of god is extending and yet for most of us we could just so easily walk out of here today and just crack on with life like normal luke 13 verse 10 one sabbath day as jesus was teaching in the synagogue he saw a woman who'd been crippled by an evil spirit she'd been bent double for 18 years and was able to stand up straight how was she crippled she was crippled by an evil spirit. 1 Peter 5.8, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for somebody to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. What's the devil looking for? He's looking for somebody to devour. Mark 9 verse 20, so they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. Matthew 10 verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Jesus gave his disciples authority over evil that they would face authority over every kind of disease and illness 1 john 3 verse 8 but the son of god came to destroy the works of the devil the presence of jesus the extension of his kingdom when you see an increase in the reign and the rule of jesus you're going to see the works of the devil destroyed now i got to be honest for years i struggled with all of this stuff and some of the remarkable stuff that I would say we've, we've seen, and some of it we've seen much more recently too, because I just didn't have a framework for understanding the stuff that we were seeing until I encountered the vineyard, and it gave me a framework and some of the language of understanding the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God representing the place of the reign and the rule of God. And the easiest way I, I think that I've come across to understand part of the kingdom of God is that classic illustration of D-Day. On the 6th of June, 1944, a date known to many of us in history as D-Day, this mighty armada crosses the narrow strip of sea from England to Normandy in France, and they cracked the grip of the Nazis on Western Europe, and Germany was doomed. The battle was kind of over, and everybody knew it, but the war may have been over, but yet there were pockets of resistance 
that continued for quite some time as they made their way from Normandy into the central Germany. The fighting hadn't stopped, but ultimately the war was won. And then on the 7th of May 1945, Germany surrendered. And on the 8th of May 1945, we get what was known as VE Day, victory in Europe. It's the same with the kingdom of God. You can apply the same mindset, the same picture and the same understanding that Jesus' death on the cross has given us an ultimate victory. It's over. The war is won, but there are still these pockets of resistance. There are still these moments of fighting until Jesus returns and ultimately crushes the devil. These pockets of resistance need to be driven out. What is really fascinating with the D-Day illustration, and I don't want to overstate it, but that time between D-Day and VE Day, it saw some of the most intense fighting of the entire war. In fact, D-Day itself saw the worst losses for the US Army in their entire history. The enemy fought fiercely, but the enemy fights a losing battle, and we live in that kind of time now. And yet, so many of us are just wandering around like it's business like usual. We'll walk out of here today like nothing has changed. Colossians 1.13, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And I've got to say, that has gone down badly. The day you gave your life to Jesus, you may as well have stuck a big target on your chest. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not in any way trying to lean us into the summer saying let's live in a place of fear. But it's just one trick that I think the enemy tries to do is to cause us to downplay it and cause us to normalize it and cause us to stick it on the sideline and say it's not a reality. But the battle has to be engaged in. We are called to live in a fight. And one of the challenges, I think one of the greatest challenges that the church currently faces of our time is we're not even aware there's a war going on. You're the victim of an unseen enemy and he is ruthless. And whether you like it or not, and whether you acknowledge it or not, it's happening. And Jesus came and he came announcing the kingdom. Mark 1.15, the time promised by God as at last come, he announced, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Luke 17, verse 21. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. Luke 8, verse 1. Soon afterwards, Jesus began a tour of nearby, nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Luke 11:20. But if I'm casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. John 18:36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus constantly said things, you'll see it throughout the gospel, consistently he said it's near, it's at hand, it's among us, it's coming more. The kingdom represented by the king that has come, we're on a war footing and that war continues. The kingdoms are clashing and Jesus gives us authority and power to rule over the work of the enemy and ultimately to destroy it, but we don't utilize that authority and that power, or recognize it, or exercise it, 
And if we don't, then what use is it to us? Now, if we're at war, and I send you out of here today to live like normal, as, as an army that hasn't been or isn't trained, surely the consequences of that are not going to be pretty. So we have to be alert. We have to be aware and we have to know what to do and we have to know how to do it. Luke 9 verse 1. One day Jesus called his 12 together and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom and to heal the sick. If, if you're the kind of person who, who highlights a passage in your, in your Bible or your Bible on your phone, or you, you make a note in your margin, or you circle something, or you underline it, or asterisks. I want to say do all of them. Underline, highlight, asterisk, circle, do the lot to this little bit. Jesus gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. You want to circle the word all, because so often we live in the mindset that he just said some, or actually that another person does it rather than me. He gave us authority and power to cast out all and to heal all. Acts 1 verse 8, if it wasn't clear, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I don't want to say anything that's an exaggeration, but I think one of the single reasons we don't often see this stuff is because often we don't pray for this stuff and we don't stand in and live with the authority that actually we have. When did you last pray for healing or let somebody pray for you for healing? When did you last pray for somebody to be set free or to be prayed yourself to be set free? I just want to draw that into Steph and I kind of personally. I would say we've seen some unbelievable stuff lately. Honestly, healings, transformations, people released of stuff, people set free of stuff physically, emotionally and spiritually. I've seen, again, recently, quite regularly with my own eyes, as we have many times before, the extension of the kingdom of God. And there is no going back. Once you've seen it, you will not go back. And I kind of want to encourage some of you today, you need to step into some of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely, there are times where we've not seen it. There's times where we've prayed and we've longed. But many, many times we have. And yet for so many of us, our mindset is controlled by this Western perception or this Western mindset. We are so often scientific and we're so often skeptical and we settle for the thoughts of, of humans rather than for the thoughts of God. And there was constant, constant resistance to extending the kingdom. And yet he said and he demonstrated it. It was the works and the words. It wasn't just the words of Jesus. It was the works as well. And sometimes we're settling just for the words. And even subconsciously, we start to gloss over some of the words because we normalize to them. And yet he taught us this proclamation and demonstration. He taught us that the, the works illuminate and the words illustrate. And let's, let's just have a look at some of the ways we encounter warfare and some of the ways that we have authority over them. Let me say the first one is this. I think it's demons. Mark 1, 21. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. 
Suddenly a man in a synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. There can be times where there is a direct assault. That's what's going on here. You do the works of the kingdom, and that may manifest on many levels, but it can be demonic resistance. You can't move, I would say, into the realm of healing without moving into the realm of demons. You're going to deal with spirits. Honestly, I don't chase them. I don't even really look for them. I chase Jesus. But when we chase Jesus, how many times do we see it that stuff just pops up and these little cockroaches need stamping on? The second thing is this, disease. Sometimes the power of the gospel cannot fall on our preconceived scientific minds. And we've got to pull the plug on that being the case. We've got to shift that. So often I think we learn to read the Bible as a historical text and we skim over what Jesus actually did because we scientifically saw or find ways to explain it away. I find it really fascinating and interesting that Luke's gospel was written by Luke and Luke was a doctor. He was a scientist. He was, he, was a, he was of a medical mind. Hundreds of the, sorry, half of the three Gospels are dedicated to the subject of healing. And yet my childhood framework for understanding these things did not allow that to be a reality. 40% of the New Testament talks about healing. The Bible is literally full of it. It's overflowing with it. And one way that Satan rules his captured world is through disease. Jesus didn't just attack the demon, he attacked the, the outworking of it. He attacked the work of what it was trying to do. And Satan causes sickness and Jesus heals sickness. And we're supposed to be people that learn to undo the work that the enemy has done. Luke 13 verse 10, one Sabbath day as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, he saw a woman had been crippled by an evil spirit. She'd been bent double for 18 years and was able to, unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. When, when you see God do things like some of us will have seen him do, it will change your view. And it causes us, I think, to stop being cynical and skeptical and stop doubting, and we start stepping into the power and the authority that is supposed to be on us. The best explanation I could come up with, or as I've heard said, it's like trying to wire your house with the electricity turned on. Honestly, at any point, God could do something. He can break in, and that's the, the people we want to be. When Jesus prayed for healing, it was less about how he did it, and more about who did it. He was looking for what caused the problem. And we're people who so love our little scientific explanations of how somebody got ill. We've got to be less interested in the how and more interested in the who. Because it's easy to come up with a religious explanation and at times fail to grasp the authority that sits on us. We cannot be asleep at our post in a time of war because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Luke 4:38. after leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, 
everybody begged. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up and at once prepared a meal for them. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. How, how did he do it? He rebuked the fever. How can you speak to a fever? It doesn't have a mind unless it's caused by something that does have a mind. Stuff obeys Jesus and we've got to start speaking to it to accomplish the force of God's will. Jesus sees a link between sickness and Satan. And I know for some of you, this is hard. I know for some of you, this isn't your worldview. This isn't the popular thing for me to say. I don't think it was the popular thing for him to say then either. And I'm not, I, don't, I want to be really careful. I'm not saying it is all the enemy, but some of it is. And we need a level of discernment to understand and to step into the power and authority that sits on us. The third thing is this, nature. Mark 4:35. as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, look across to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind. Although other boats followed, but soon a, full, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat and his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him shouting, teacher, don't you care we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I think sometimes we take a verse like that and we dial it down. We dial it right down and we go, oh, Jesus has authority over the wind and the waves of your life. And he can still them. And I, I agree, he can. But you know, I think that's a little bit more than that going on right there. Jesus is about to go to the other side of the lake. How do we know that? Because that's what he said he was going to do. And when he gets there, what's going to happen? You read on in the passage, he's going to cast out a demon from someone, actually probably one of the most high-profile, excessive ones that he encountered in the gospel. And I would suggest that the enemy is trying to resist that and stop that. And actually, maybe uncomfortable for me to say it, but I think he was trying to take them out. Mark 5, verse 1. They arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of Gennesaret. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. The implications are there are forces that will resist the will of God. And Jesus does something about it. There is a resistance, though, to him coming. When the waves of your life come, when the resistance come in your life, remember you're called to battle and actually you're called to conflict. The fourth thing, sorry, this is really not light if you're new in the room today. The fourth thing is this, death. We've got to be equipped and understand the realities. Luke 7 verse 11, soon afterwards Jesus went with the disciples to the village of Nain. A large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and he touched it and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back 
to his mother. Shabba. Honestly, we, we, we could definitely spend a bit of time talking about that and just imagine the reaction to what's going on there. Jesus has defeated death. The ultimate enemy is trying to kill and destroy. That's his end game. John 10, verse 10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Just, just as a, almost a side note, I think some of you will be caught up in fear and you'll have an abnormal fear of death because that's the enemy territory. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to kill and destroy and dilute and water down. And he does something particularly around death. And I think we've got to claim that territory back because Jesus' purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life. The enemy's purpose is to kill and destroy and to steal, to break the lies and the strangleholds. We've got to step into the, some of that. The enemy is trying to kill what God is trying to do. And we can't... When, when we apply that to ourselves, when we apply that to us as a community, we can't be full of bitterness and cynicism towards each other and yet then turn up in worship and be like, Lord, bless me, bless us. And then when he doesn't, we kind of jump up and down and we start to question why he doesn't. We've got to realize that there's a bigger thing at play here, that the enemy is trying to destroy things. He tries to destroy our unity. He tries to destroy our relationships. He, he, he assaults our minds and, and our bodies, and we have to be on a war footing to protect ourselves from it and to stand firm in truth and step into greater freedom. The fifth thing is this, the rule of God over sin. It is the Father's good pleasure to give the kingdom to his children. He came to give his life and give his life as a ransom for many. And what he does is he drives out the enemy and he brings the, the reign and the rule of God more evidently in our lives. And where Jesus is the power in that, it breaks the reign and the rule of Satan. And we've got to learn to be kingdom operatives. I think we've become so one-dimensional in some of our thinking in this. Jesus has power over sin, and we pray and we repent, and we long for him to move, and we long for the lost to come to know him. And it's an incredibly important thing that we do when we do regularly. The sick thing, and I think this is the one I kind of close with, is this, is our minds. There is a huge, significant battleground for our minds when it comes to the enemy. In the, in the Garden of Eden, he questioned Eve, didn't he? Did God really say that? Did God really say that? It kind of worked. It tricked them. That line, I think, has worked ever since because the devil often tries to sow doubt into our thinking by questioning what God has said. And if he can get us to doubt God's word, whether that be something written in the Bible or a word of direction that he's spoken us by, over us by some of, some of a means, he's going to effectively start to disable us. Do you, see, do you see why he might want to do that or might try and do that in your life? That's why Paul is so adamant about con us controlling our thought processes and about renewing our minds. 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 10, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty powers, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle 
that keeps people from knowing God. We capture the rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. And like Paul, we're merely, merely weak humans, but we don't need to use human plans and methods to win our battles. God's mighty weapons are available to us as we seek to destroy and break down strongholds. And Paul uses military terminology. Of course he does, because we're at war to describe the warfare against sin and against Satan. And God has got to be in the role of as our commander-in-chief, and even our thoughts must be submitted to his control as we live for him. And spirit-empowered believers have to capture every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I've, I've always loved how it says that. Make it obedient. It doesn't say, oh, just, you know, naturally will, give your life to Jesus, everything will align. It says you've got to capture your rebellious thoughts and teach them. You've got to force them to become obedient to Jesus. When exposed to ideas or opportunities that might lead you to wrong desires, you've got a choice. We recognize the danger and we turn away from the danger or we allow those unhealthy thoughts to start to take us captive. You can capture your fantasies and your desires when you honestly admit them to the Lord and you ask him to redirect your thinking. I'd encourage us to ask God to give us a spirit of discernment that would keep our thoughts focused on his truth. You might have to capture them. You might actually have to force them to align. So how, how, are, you, how are you doing with that? How's it going in your mind? Philippians 4 verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He puts a guard over our hearts and our minds if we let him and if we invite him. Equally, if he guards us, I kind of give you three guesses what the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to pick off those guards. Honestly, you've got to be so careful with your mind. Be careful who you chat with. I'm careful who I chat with. I'm careful when I chat with them. I'm careful what I watch, what I read, what the story and the narrative is that is influencing my mind because I know that the enemy wants to take ground and I know one key way he's going to do it is he's going to go for my mind. Verse 8, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And I think we all say yes and amen. But do we? Because the reality is so often dominates the landscape of our minds that the enemy is just trying to pick away at it and so quickly and so easily we give it away. Fix your thoughts, it says. If, if you just had 10 minutes today, some of you would be like, oh, if only I did have 10 minutes. But if you had 10 minutes to daydream today, where would your mind go? Because honestly, the enemy is trying to reduce your mind. He tries to get into those thought patterns, the ministry ideas that you may have and the vision and the plans and the dreams that you long to see God fulfill. If God, if, sorry, if the enemy can disrupt and interrupt that at any stage, he will. And that's where he starts to win. Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. It's like fix your thoughts Focus your mind, elevate your perspective. 1 Peter 1.13, so think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the grace of salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. 
emotions are a gauge. They're not a guide. We're not controlled by them. And at times, we're going to have to take them captive. Most of us will have a lot on our minds. Honestly, I believe we should be training our minds to be thinking from a kingdom perspective first and foremost. And that all the other stuff that needs to fit in around it is the stuff that fits in around. But it's not the first and foremost. Think about it. It's your mind, I think, that the enemy so often goes for. Think about the many areas of your life you're giving, you're helping, you're serving, you're, you're doing you know, your unrelenting strain and pressure that sometimes you feel, getting bombarded from all angles. And when you're doing all of that, the enemy starts to try and pick away and dig in because you look around you and go, well, I'm doing all of this and yet others aren't. You're helping everyone else, but who's helping me? See, the enemy starts to sow doubt in your mind and the fog and the smoke screens start to come up and the frustration and the isolation and the doubt set in. The enemy goes for our minds in those moments. I don't fit. This isn't right. They don't get me. You know, there'll be these little words and comments that start to get a little hook in your heart among us. Among us, not just out there, but even in this environment, the roots of pain and the roots of difference start to grow among us. Matthew 11 Verse 3, John the Baptist is feeling some of that, I think. That's what he's facing. And he sends some friends to ask Jesus. Here. <laughs> and they say to him, John's kind of saying, are you the Messiah that we're expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Don't you find that a really fascinating thing for him to ask? He says, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we be looking for someone else? If anybody knew that Jesus was who he said he was, you would think it would be John. Surely he would have heard his, his mother Elizabeth and his Aunt Mary sharing stories of being pregnant and how the Holy Spirit spoke to them about who Jesus was and what was to come. And then John is the guy who led the way, proclaiming Mark 1, prepare the way for the Lord is coming, clear the road from him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. John had seen the Holy Spirit rest on him when he came out of the baptism water. He heard the voice of the Father, Matthew 3.13. So John agreed to baptize him after his baptism. As Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. And yet now his experience caused him to wonder and to doubt. Have some of you just been ground down? by the normality and the run of the mill of the last year and life and the pandemic. He's, he's kind of like, did I, did I miss this one? Did I get it wrong? Do you see how sneaky the enemy can be? How we can try and play games and tricks with our minds. I want to say put a guard over your heart and mind because that's what the enemy is trying to do. There will be times in our lives when our unmet expectations will start to cause us to question. It'll be those times, I think, that it's imperative that we know what we believe and we believe the thing that we know. Because Jesus's response to John was this, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, 
the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. Why do I specifically labour the mind and for so long? Because for some of you, there is a real battle going on in and for your mind. Ephesians 6 verse 16, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The shield has got to stop some of this even getting to you. Some of you have lowered that shield and I want to ask you to raise it again. The, the helmet of the protection of your mind, your thought processes, how you process things and think about things and what you dwell on and the sword, the Bible to redefine and realign where the father of lies has started to try and take some ground because we've got to be on a war footing. We honestly have 1 Peter 5, 8, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Ephesians 6, 10, and a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Stand strong and stand firm. It's constantly said, stand firm and stand strong. Why don't, why don't we stand and wait on the Spirit? Do you know, even as, as we do, I, I just want to say this. I think even ministry like this is warfare. Because the, God wants to get some stuff on you and the enemy wants to hold you in it. So just know that. I think there's even a battle for these moments. Why don't we just wait and rest on the Spirit some of you, you want to close your eyes so that you're not distracted. Father God, we long for your presence. Come now. Come, Lord Jesus. Yeah, I think we just need to take a moment, don't we, just to kind of decompress, just to be still, to know that, that God is who he says he is. So let's just do that for a few moments, just, just be still, be silent, just wait on the Lord.
as Paul already said, we, we really don't chase the demonic. We don't chase the things of the devil. We, we run after Jesus. We look to him. We want to be in the places he's in. And because he's always working, because the kingdom is extending, we find conflict in those places when we, when we chase him. So it will be the reality that, that a number of us are facing affliction, afflicting spirits. And we just want to um, just bring it all before the Lord now, bring it all before his power and his sovereignty, knowing that he is the one that is over all of it. And some of you will be able to identify, you'll know that you, you're afflicted by something. You can feel it in your physical body or you just know there's, there's a battle for your mind. And we want to come against some of that stuff this morning. We want to push back the darkness and we want to reclaim some of the, the territory that has been unlawfully occupied in your lives. And also I want to encourage you, let's just, let's get our courage up. God has conquered. He is... He has overcome. He longs to set us free. He longs for our life to be full and satisfying and meaningful. And so where the, the doubts and the fears creep in, let's just come against them. Let's get our courage up. Know that God is who he says he is. He is capable of all things. And let's just do some business with the Lord this morning. So I think the first sort of first first group of people that might want to respond are those that just you know that you're afflicted and I don't say that in a big or a deep or a heavy way or something to you know a kind of a label or a shame thing over you I've known Paul, Paul and I've known so many times in our lives even now there are things that are afflicting us mm. so yeah just come come and come and be prayed for we'd love to come alongside you and ask for God to, to be at work in your lives. So I just want to encourage some of you who are um, praying, there's an authority moment in this. There needs to be some commands and some breaking. There's some, some territory that is, is not rightfully occupied. I think there's a, there's a number of you uh, this morning, this, this will be a mind thing feel like there's been a real mess wrestle in your mind some of you i think uh, if you want if you want to see the lord move more powerfully in your life there's just a, a need again to come in repentance turn and repent of some self and some of that is actually um is doubt and skepticism i just gotta let it go Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.